Good morning. How is everybody doing? It's good to be in person, isn't it? Nice to take off the mask. And good morning to everybody at home, too, on Zoom. Well, it's good to be with you, and especially to say thank you for your support um, uh, for Resonate Global Mission and for the work of Salaam 2.0. Uh, I really wanted to take time this morning to thank you for this church's and for your support. So I'm going to turn to the text, which is John 15, verses 13 to 17 is what I'll choose for now. 13 to 17. But keep your Bibles open or your phones if you're um, using a phone, because we're going to look at some different parts of the whole chapter, John 15. So that's going to be our focus, and I'm going to do a little bit of explanation after I read the passage as to why I chose this particular passage. So starting from verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, or in some cases the Greek word is doula, slaves, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my commandment, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. So one of the reasons I chose this passage is because it's a passage that's very important to the work that I'm doing right now. Uh, as Marion said, um, I began this particular work. I had another iteration with World Missions back in the 90s. Uh, Natalie is here today. Uh, Natalie and I worked in Mali, West Africa, among the Fulani. But then in 2011, the CRC started a new project called Salam Project. It actually had come out of concerns from 9-11 that we weren't really addressing uh, Muslims in the world, and particularly in Canada and the United States, and that we weren't giving them enough attention. Particularly, um, the stats were coming through that the number of missionaries working among Muslim people groups were around only 1%, very low, and that about 80% of missionaries were working with established churches in the world. So there was a, this recognition that we as a church needed to do more for um, to working towards Muslims. So originally it was called Advancing Ministry Among Muslims, but then when I came on in 2011, it became Salam Project. And then in about 2014, there was a transition where it became Salam 2.0, a new version of Salam Project, uh, and it became focused in Canada. So focusing in Canada meant that we could work with Canadian partners like Loving Muslims Together and other groups. Um, and the, the main principles have always been the same, to, uh, to educate, so we learn more about Muslims, what they believe, the Islamic religion, that we learn ways of sensitive witness to our Muslim neighbor, and then finally that we develop ways of dialoguing with Muslims. So we call that interfaith dialogue. So that was the case up until about three years ago, and then my ministry went uh, uh, under, uh, through another change, and that was because, as you know, world missions and home missions came together. And in that unification pro process, uh, some new opportunities um, came into be. And those opportunities were focusing on people called diaspora populations. 
So now Muslims, especially when we focus on them in US and Canada, are actually diaspora groups. But as we began to study the potential for a diaspora ministry, we realized that it's far more than just Muslims in the world. Diaspora people groups being any person who is displaced for either, either a forced migration or for economic reasons, or to study like an international student, uh, and that the opportunities for diaspora were huge. So that's why this transition happened, because we realized now, with the unification, we could reach out to these, these populations. Uh, in the past, and you know how this goes sometimes, right, with our strategies. In the past, um, international cultural groups coming to the U.S. and Canada were technically the work of world missions, being a cross-cultural agency, except they were here and not overseas. And they weren't totally the work of home missions either, except for maybe campus ministry, because home missions was mainly focused on church planting and not cross-cultural missions. So you see there was a gap. So all this to explain that, so we went from Salam Project to Salam 2.0, and now with this new focus on diaspora, we are into something called journeys into friendship. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That's why this text is so central. Uh, journeys into friendship is our new network. And journeys into friendship is to coach and support diaspora ministry leaders throughout Canada, the U.S., and globally as they reach out and minister to diaspora populations. International students, refugees, immigrants, for whatever reason, they're immigrating, and probably the example today is the Afghan population that is coming to Canada presently. That would be the newest wave, and there'll be more Afghans coming, I'm sure. So that's an example. Some are Muslim people groups, some are Sikh people groups, some are Hindus, some are nuns, as we call them, right? No religion. And the interesting thing is one of the fastest growing churches is the Iranian church. Uh, and many uh, people from Iran are very open to Christianity, and we see that. You've probably heard about Willowdale in Toronto and the Farsi Fellowship and the tremendous opportunities we have in the Iranian church today. So all kinds of good things happening. But we needed something to focus on. We needed something to help us understand theologically what this ministry would look like and how we could tie people together. And after a lot of discussion, we focused on friendship. And that is a very biblical concept, as you can see from from John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So this is the kind of biblical friendship we're talking about in the Journeys into Friendship Network. You are my friends if you do what I command. And here's the key, key passage in verse 15. I no longer call you servants, so this is Jesus talking to the disciples, because the servant does not know his master's business. But now that they knew Jesus' business, right, he says, I call you friends. I call you friends. Um, so that, that's a tremendous thing, because if Jesus has called us his friend, we who are sinners, who don't deserve it, who don't have any right to claim that, if Jesus can call us his friend, then we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, can be friends with anybody. So that's a key concept. We can be friends with anybody. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, uh, thought a lot about friendship as a virtue and said that, you know, you can really only be friends with people that you have a lot in common with. So he said, classically, that old people and young people can't be friends together. They don't have enough in common. Well, whether you agree with that or not, the fact is Aristotle wasn't speaking from a Christian perspective. 
The fact is, through Jesus Christ, we can be friends with anybody. The possibilities are endless. So let's, let's get into our text a little bit, and let's explore that a little more. John 15 has so many wonderful verses. I, I, I was tempted to read the whole chapter, and maybe I should have, because it's one of my favorite. But I think we know many of them well. For example, John 15:1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that, does, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So God is, is the gardener, the pruner. He's always pruning us so that we would produce fruit, but only if we remain in God, in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man or a woman remains in me, or as older versions say, abide in me. So key to this concept is abiding in Christ so that we produce fruit. But in terms of thinking about friendship and the need for friendship today, um, we really come to the trouble in our text. So I was trained to always look for the trouble in the text. Where is the trouble in John 15? Well, it seems to me the trouble is in verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So why is Jesus talking about the world hating the disciples if they follow him? It's first of all because the, the disciples are, are, are stepping to a new beat, so to speak. They're following a new way. But not only that, hate is a fundamental problem. You know, even beyond what Jesus is saying to his disciples, we know from biblical record that hate is our fundamental problem, our fundamental sin going back to the time of Cain and Abel. And hate continues to be a problem in our world one that we have to deal with. Hate in the form of, um, it can be in the form of active hate towards others. It can be even in the form of indifference or even looking after our own interests of our own groups and a kind of tribalism that we can so easily fall into. And so as we think about this problem of hate, it's really important that we think about how that affects us as people and how, affect, how it affects our mission. Because this is a fundamental problem that we all have to deal with. And it can also come in terms of fear. When I, early in my days of Salam Project, somebody said to me, you know, Christians, when they, when they think about Muslims, often fall into three categories, either fear or fury or fascination. But it's because often we're dealing with things that we don't know a lot about, and sometimes Times the reaction that comes can be one that's not helpful to our mission. So what do we do with this, and how do we counter this in our world today, both as God's church, called to be different, and God's mission, called to reach out to people who we might not be very familiar with, people groups have strange cultural customs. How do we, how do we, how do, we do that? So let's think a little bit about that. Um, probably the classic example of tribalism would be Rwanda. Of course, we all know about the genocide. And I remember um, when Nellie and I were doing missionary training for that first iteration with World Missions back in, um, when would that have been, 1993, I guess. Uh, we actually went to a, 
a retreat center outside Colorado Springs, and we had a, it was actually tremendous training with a lot of missionaries going to different countries um, from different mission agencies. Developed some good friendships over a short period of time. There was one couple going to Rwanda, and I remember thinking I was so impressed because they actually gave us a slideshow. I think they were the only only couple there who actually gave us a slideshow on what their work was going to be because they already were very familiar with it. And it was amazing because there was these beautiful pictures of Christians gathering on these green hillsides. I'd never been to Rwanda, but it looked very green and lush, and they were all wearing white robes. It looked like a beautiful picture. Um, and this was in 1993. And then 1994, I think, already then, that genocide happened, right? And uh, the, we got the story that this particular couple ended up escaping just barely, just barely getting through checkpoints and getting out of the country um, in the nick of time, but very traumatized. So I bring this up, not necessarily because I want to paint a picture that's so extreme, because in many cases, crossing barriers um, is not as bad as the Rwandan situation between the Hutu and the Tutsi. The reason I want to bring it up is because good has come out of that particular situation in Rwanda. And one of the things that has come out of the Rwanda situation is healing hearts, transforming nations. So that's one of the areas that we're working in. We're promoting healing hearts, transforming nations. We're doing four in-person workshops in 2022 in different places in the United States. And the idea behind healing hearts, transforming nations is that people deal with their own trauma first and find healing from their trauma through the cross so that they can then reach out to others and bring healing and reconciliation. And that came directly out of that Rwanda experience. And our missionary in Ukraine, George Deweist, who's also dealing with ethnic strife between Ukrainians and Russians, has been also using those materials. So that's one of the ways that we're bringing um, teachings from Rwanda into uh, into our diaspora work and journeys into friendship. We also are bringing other trauma healing from the American Bible Institute as well. So that's part of breaking down barriers. And all of this is about breaking down barriers, barriers of race, ethnicity, uh, culture, and religion. Because those are things that separate us. But again, if we come back to John 15, we know that if Jesus has made us his friend, despite all the barriers that we have as sinners between us and a righteous and holy God, if that has been done by Jesus Christ on the cross, then all these things become possible. So that's a central, central theme to our work. And that includes working with this uh, group, and I've been so encouraged to work with this group in Toronto, the Farsi Fellowship. And um, one of the things that's wonderful about working with new believers is they, they're very hungry to understand, and they always have such good questions. So once a month, I have the opportunity to uh, teach and preach to the Farsi Fellowship. Um, and then I'll usually pick a topic. So I'm doing a series on the seven deadly sins. That's a, that's a topic of interest to me. Um, and the good thing about the seven deadly sin tradition is it's an ethical tradition. Um, and it allows people to think about their discipling process and their walk with God on a daily basis in very relevant ways. And so... Um, this past week, I actually tackled the uh, topic of lust. I was a little bit nervous, especially in a culture that I don't know completely well, shame honor culture, actually. But they, uh, they said they appreciated it. And actually, we, um, 
they really appreciated that topic because we don't often talk about sex and lust and some of these things. And I was reminded of an Inspire conference with Mary Hulst, uh, the chaplain at Calvin University, who said, young people in the CRC today, that's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about sex, they want to talk about money, and they want to talk about power. But we don't often talk about those topics in, in the church. But that's what people want to hear. They want to talk about those things. So the seven deadly sins has been a good way to help focus how God wants us to live for a group of, of new believers, really, people who are just new to the Christian faith. And, uh, and the wonderful thing is, after I finish, then we usually have this long discussion with lots of questions. They were a little, actually, less, there was a little short. The discussion wasn't as long. I think people had questions they were afraid to, afraid to ask. But um, some of our discussions have been long and gone past, past our time because they're, they're, they're so curious about these things, right? So that's been, that's been really tremendous. And we're going to continue to learn from the Willowdale experience so that as other churches in, you know, encounter these diaspora populations, uh, Willowdale is very specific in that in North York, going all the way up to Richmond Hill, you've got many, many Iranians. And so it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for them, but it could, it could happen to other churches in Canada as well. So we're trying to learn from their experience and we're trying to apply it to other churches. We also have another Resonate missionary, Gary Timmerman, who is working with Russian speakers, and he's starting to work in the same area. So again, that's a diaspora population, but different again, right? Russian Orthodox. So, or actually they could be from many different places in the former Soviet Union who speak Russian. So that's also um, a great opportunity. And again, so interesting, if you look at Toronto, if you go right up through North York into Richmond Hill, Iranians and Russians. So many have immigrated to Canada. So we have tremendous opportunities. So not to say we won't continue to send missionaries overseas to these different places, but more and more we see opportunities right here. And people like Gary Timmerman for the next two years are going to focus on Russian speakers right here in, in this area of the GTA. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. But again, we can only do this because we are loved, right? That's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15. We are loved. Jesus has made us his friend. We, we did not do this. God chose us for this. God made us his friend. God made you his friend. Despite all the things that we've done that are wrong, but all the things that come in between us and God in terms of our sinful ways as human beings, uh, we say if there's one reformed doctrine that's, you know, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity may be a mystery, but there's one reformed doctrine that's self-evident, Every time you pick up the paper in the morning, total depravity. And yet God has made us his friend through Jesus Christ, which is an amazing thing. So hold on to that, people of God. Hold on to that. It's tremendous. We are no longer called servants or even do lost slaves. But that Jesus says to his disciples and to us, you are my friends. You are close to me. But also that you would produce fruit. And if I have to prune you to produce that fruit, I will prune you, and there will be hard times. But it is because I love you, and because I want you to produce fruit for my kingdom. That's why Jesus has done this. Even if the world hates you for it, I will be with you, because you're my friend, Jesus says. And that's tremendous. So where does that lead us in terms of our ministry today? There's a couple of, uh, couple of implications for this teaching uh, in John 15 and this kind of 
from Brother John of Taizé. You've heard of Taizé, the Catholic center in France where for many years now young people have been going and finding their faith revitalized and even coming to faith through the Taizé movement. Sometimes we do Taizé worship because they're there. It was very innovative, some of their songs and, and liturgies that they came up with. And Brother John has some, has some reflections in a book on friendship on this very passage. And he says, one of the first implications of the fact that Jesus has made us his friend is that we here are all friends. We start with our community. Whether you're here in person or whether you're on Zoom, the fact is you're part of this Christian community. You are all friends. You may have different views on things. You may not always dis disagree on certain contentious issues but you are friends, that's the basis. And so there's always a way to come together in fellowship. Even if you have serious disagreements, you begin first as friends. So this has a lot of implications for building community, being friends together first, above all else. That's the first thing. The second thing Brother John says is that Jesus was also friends with tax collectors and sinners. So that's the call to go outside, the call to go and be friends with those around you in your community outside the church and to develop those friendships. And if you say, oh, but that's so hard because, you know, that, I don't understand that group or they seem so extreme or whatever reason, the fact is Jesus leads the way in this with tax collectors and sinners. And I also think that's to push that even further, it, that's reaching across barriers also of religion. So coming back to the Roots and Salam project, here's where we say we are also going to reach out in friends, friendship to others who are maybe Muslim, uh, Christian, uh, not Christian, sorry, Hindu, Sikh, or interestingly enough, we were visiting my daughter and son-in-law in Creston, BC, and there they have many Mormons, fundamentalist Mormons, actually. You know, they're not just regular Mormons, they're fundamentalists. So the Blackmores with many wives, and um, that they're a really different group. But my son-in-law actually is befriending them. They go cliff jumping in the river, in the Goat River there, and he's gotten to know some of those young Mormon men, and he's invited one to church. That actually is barrier-crossing friendship. This particular Mormon young man hasn't accepted yet, but good for my son-in-law, Gage, right? That's the kind of thing that that we love to see. And again, it's possible because Jesus leads the way in this. All right? This is an important concept that we can't ignore. I'm calling them tax collectors and sinners, which maybe in Jesus' context was, was the way it worked out. But it could be, like, I don't want to totally compare them as parallels, but it's just about anybody who you don't know and may wonder about, right? Somebody who leads a different life. Let's just put it that way. And then there's another thing that this has implications for, and that is the global church. Because the fact is there are many people in the world who we automatically have a connection with when they follow Jesus. And that is something that we're increasingly being challenged by, to not just isolate ourselves in Canada or the U.S., but be, to be connected to the global church, to be growing and learning from each other. So there's also a friendship that's called here to be in friendship with Christians from other nations and other cultures and other ways. And so being a friend, as Jesus is a friend to us, leads to all kinds of things for the church. 
but it starts with the fact that Jesus has made us his friend. That's an act of grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it. He's just taken us and embraced us and said, you are my friend. And to be friends with Jesus is a tremendous thing. But as Jesus says, I've done this so that you will produce fruit. Love each other. Do not give up doing those good things. Continue in the mission of God where God has placed you. But keep your eyes open for the potential for friendships. Don't discount, discount any possibilities. Keep your mind open. Pray that God will bring you a new friend particularly from somewhere that you never expected, or maybe a challenging thing. Because I read the other day that, you know, God allows us to have periods of comfort, but I also think God pushes us sometimes into discomfort so that we grow spiritually. We also have to pray for that too. Pray God to put me in a place of discomfort so that your kingdom will advance, and maybe that's the pruning that Jesus is talking about, so that we would be open to that. And in whatever context, whether it's work or whether it's school, as we prayed about that this morning, um, whether it's in your community, whether it's something that you do as a volunteer, keep your mind open and, and be prepared for God to bring a friend to you. And then when that happens, just remember that Jesus has made you his friend first. And then love each other. So as we continue to think together, you'll continue to hear reports from me about this journeys into friendship, and I will try to be faithful in letting you know how that continues to go as it grows. But I also want to encourage you through the power of the Holy Spirit to be friends together and with your community and with the world around you. Amen? All right, thanks again for this opportunity. I'm so thankful for it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you've made us your friend. What else can we say? That is such a tremendous blessing. May it sink down into every heart here today that you've chosen us to be your friend. And then may that spur us on into mission in our world today, in our fellowship first and then outward, so that your name would be glorified, Jesus, and that the kingdom of God would advance. Thank you for the part that you give each one of us and for this church, Faith Church in Burlington. Help us to be faithful. And thank you that you are always with us in this. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.